Street Smart Real Estate Investing. Welcome to the new innovative concept of real estate investing. No more expensive courses. No more high-priced mentors taking your money and leaving you without ongoing support. Become a full-time seasoned real estate investor by participating with our already successful team members. Now is the time to stop talking about real estate investing and start doing. Take action. Just ask and we will help you. We promise one thing, no BS. For more info, www.streetsmartrei.com. So, why would we invest in the United States? Well, certainly, as we've been talking about, and you can't, you know, avoid hearing on the news that uh, we're at record foreclosure rates in the United States. In Canada, we've seen an increase, certainly, in foreclosures as well because of the downturn in our market in 2008, um, but nowhere near what's been happening in the United States. In Canada, we're like 0.3%. In the United States, there's certainly you know well over five and six percent overall in mortgages that have gone to foreclosure, if not more, at this particular point in time. So, probably in the first time of our lifetime, we we have this great opportunity to buy properties at such low discounted prices. Um, and I shouldn't say necessarily first time in a lifetime. When I first got into this business in 2001, Carol and I were buying properties in Regina for anywhere from thirteen to twenty-five thousand dollars on average and we would rent them out for four fifty to eight hundred and fifty dollars a month we had great cash flow properties um, they were fairly labor-intensive to manage but they were a great way for us to get started in business now what I see happening in the United States is this great opportunity for us once again to get in and buy properties at deeply discounted prices. Some of the areas of the United States are prices that they haven't seen since the 1970s. So, you know, as Canadians, it's really an opportunity sitting there just waiting for us. A lot of people ask me, well, why is it just the Canadians are going down there? Why are the Americans not buying up these properties as well? Well, it's a very good question. They have, a lot of American investors are reinvesting I do know you know large buyers down the states but on average a lot of the smaller investors that got into this business were hit very very hard with the downturn in their economy and have lost everything and are having a hard time struggling to get back they will be back on their feet and be back into this business and I would say that that's probably though still a little ways away same with the American homeowner there's so many challenges getting financing for homeowners and especially for investors that it's difficult for them to get into this market so you know us as Canadians happen to you know be at the right time where we have a lot of things that are happening um, in our favor good strong Canadian dollar you know we have 20 to 30 percent more buying power than we had you know a few years ago um, we've been very blessed even though a lot of markets have had a little bit of a downturn we still have good appreciation in our properties over the last 10 years. A lot of people are sitting on a lot of equity in our properties, so we have the opportunity to take some of that equity out and use that money to invest in other areas. And not only are Canadians seeing this opportunity too, but there's people from all over the world that are coming. Australians, New Zealand, um, Germany, England, you know, certainly the Middle East and South America, etc., are coming up to the United States to buy properties. So why not us? Why not get in on this opportunity and do something? And the, the potential for return on investment is way better than it's ever been, uh, probably in most properties that we're going to see in Canada. As well, I think a lot of Canadians are taking a look around at their potential retirement savings, and a lot of people were hit very hard over the last uh, couple of years with the downturn in the stock markets and have lost a lot of their retirement savings. I'm now looking and going, do I have enough to help me get through my retirement and the lifestyle that I you know, want to live in? And is the Canada Pension going to be there and other uh, programs that are available today to help me? Especially for those of us that are baby boomers and such a large percentage of us are going to be retiring over the next few years. Uh, you know, it's one of those things that certainly brought this to mind is an opportunity for us to maybe grow our retirement savings through investing in real estate. There's many different 
uh, options available to us as Canadians, which I'm going to touch on a little bit later. Um, I'm here to kind of give you just a little bit of an overview. We don't have time to go into great depth, and I do do training uh, in more depth and weekend sessions on how to invest. But um, you know, some of the things we're going to review is how we can get into deals, where do we find them, and then in turn, once you get that deal, what do you do with it afterwards? So you know, what kind of exit strategies are there? Some of the things that we're seeing right now, and and some of the research that you know and information that's coming back to us is. The U.S. population is still growing, even though the uh, U.S. is in a you know situation where they've you know had huge amount of people that are off work, on unemployment and on social aid of some kind from the government. Um, there still is inward migration to their country, and of course they are still you know increasing their population from within. So they anticipate um, an increase of 1% per year on average going forward, which is very similar to what Canada sees. Of course, the United States, when you have 300 and some million people, that's about 3 million people a year that are added to their population. So they're in a downturn, a lot of people out of work, and there's still more people coming. The people that are coming to the United States, and even people from within the United States, are starting to migrate to the southern states. Arizona, Nevada, Florida, Georgia, Texas, you know, California, those are the states, what we call the Sun Belt, is where the people are, are moving to. And those are where the jobs are being created. And I always say, when you're looking at real estate, you should be looking at where the jobs and people go and follow that trend. One of the other things that is becoming evident as well is that the U.S. is becoming a nation of renters. A lot of these people lost their homes with the foreclosure, were forced to go out and rent, or a lot of them moved in with their family members and have been, you know, staying with brothers and sisters and friends or whatever, trying to make ends meet until they can get a job and get kind of back on their feet. There was a survey done earlier this year that showed that 72% of the homeowners who lost their home to foreclosures say they will not buy real estate again. Now, we do anticipate that that trend will change over time, but a lot of these people are just so frustrated and disheartened because they lost their homes. They're in you know, dire financial straits. A lot of them are still off work, and they're very concerned about what's going to happen with the market. Even though the lending rates in the United States are the lowest that they've ever been uh, in years, they're still very difficult to get financing. If you've had a foreclosure, so the challenges come along with it. So they're, right now they're just you know, saying, no, I just want to rent and see what happens. So that's a great opportunity for us as investors because all those people who moved out of houses need a place to live. And why not live in one of our rental properties? The, another trend that we're noticing too is that the U.S., because of all the new people that are coming in, they're not building new properties. And for example, in Phoenix, you can go and buy a house that's less than 10 years old that for eighty dollars to $90,000. We can't build that house at this point in time for that rate. What we are seeing, though, is that the builders are starting to accumulate land. They know that there is going to be a shortage coming in the, in the future years, and they're planning for it already. So every service lot that is currently available in Phoenix, for example, and Las Vegas are being bought up by the developers in those cities. And they're sitting on those, those land, on that land of those lots, waiting for the market to turn around so they can start building again. There is a little bit of building happening in Phoenix, for example. I know some people that are building a home. There's some developments that were sitting empty, half done, that have been picked up by other investors, and they're starting to complete those projects. So you're starting to see a little bit of it happening, a little bit happening in Florida, and it, we will eventually need to do that. Last year, there was less than 500,000 houses that were started. And we know there's 3 million people moving to the country every year. The average that they need in order to accommodate the growth in the population is approximately a million new units either single-family homes or condo or apartments started every year. So already they're behind the, the trend of what they need to do. There's certainly a lot of inventory sitting with the banks, what we call shadow inventory, but it won't be long before that will be gone at some point in time. So 
who knows when this is going to happen. It's going to vary from one area to the other. And we do still have shadow inventory to get rid of. That is not going to go away. And the builders, you know, do realize that as well. So you're going to start to see some things as we move ahead. Prime time for us again to get in and buy property now because as the shortage comes, the developers will have a hard time keeping up and the property values are going to start to increase and we'll have an opportunity to sell our properties and get a better return as a result because of appreciation. So <clears throat> the urban areas, of course, are where this is mostly happening. Again, the growth in the south. One thing that we're seeing is that the rents are still very attractive in most areas because of the demand now for rentals versus home ownership. So another important cog in our wheel as we move forward as real estate investors. In Canada, we have uh, CMHC, which at this particular point in time governs what happens with the banks and, and lending criteria throughout the country as well as some of other regulatory bodies. <clears throat> at this point in time, CMHC will not allow our lenders to sell foreclosures at big discounts. Just the opposite, of course, is happening in the United States. We've all heard about the bailout by the government. The banks, you know, have been paid for their debt, and they've taken that money, and they have been slow in releasing new money going out into the, into the workplace or into the market. So, you know, we're still seeing people having a hard time getting financing. People that do have good jobs want to get back into homes, and it's going to take a little while for that to happen. So as a result of all the discounts and everything that's happening, short sales and discounts on individual home mortgages are very common, and that's how we're getting to these properties with, you know, deep discounts compared to what the properties were originally um, paid for. One thing that people always ask me is, well, what happens if a recession comes again? Um, you know, what happens if there's a downturn? There's a lot of concern right now with what's happening with the European markets and what that impact will be on the global economy if Greece fails and does not, you know, is not able to carry their debt. Well, certainly there may be some impact. Um, we will see ourselves out of this recession eventually. If you look, though, at the trends, every five to eight years, the United States has gone through a recession. So, yes, this has been one of the worst ones since the 1930s. Um, however, they you know, will eventually turn around, and they will go through smaller recessions again, and just as we do in Canada. So you know, this is all part of the normal cycle. This is a little abnormal as far as the volume based because of what happened with the subprime lending. But we do feel there's you know, optimism for the future, what happens. Um, and as well, you know, the United States is one of the highest industrialized nations in the world. It has the highest economy, the largest economy. Um, another question that I'm asked all the time is what if the United States' currency fails? So um, I'm sure a lot of you have thought about that, wonder what's going to happen with that when we went through the challenges that the U.S. went through over the summer with increasing their debt ceiling. So typically in that particular case, We'll use the example of Greece. Greece is in a, a huge recession. They have huge financial problems on the verge of bankruptcy. Typically, what a country would do would be devalue their dollar, and that would then make their country more attractive for uh, buyers to come from other countries to buy their goods and services and help them pay off their debt quicker. The Greece cannot do that at this particular case because they're part of the European Union. The European Union will not take a hit on the euro. So they're forced into this, this corner the way they are. So the question is, well, why doesn't the U.S. do that? Well, the U.S. could possibly do that, but when you're the largest uh, economy in the world, the impact to you could be significant in doing that. And as well, they're the reserve currency for the world. And what would happen then with that and that status? And I don't see that that would happen. I don't know that they even have an option to do this. I'm not an economist by any any means, but just listening to people that I know that are in financial business, it doesn't seem that that would be something that would happen um, intentionally. Now, there, we've seen you know some things happening with their dollar over the last couple of weeks, and certainly the Canadian dollar has dropped a little bit as well. I think where last I heard it was like 95. I didn't check it today, so I didn't see where we're at. But 
you're going to see their currency probably move around uh, quite a bit over the next little while, as will ours. Um, and I don't know where that's going to end up. Again, I'm not an expert, but those are some of my thoughts regarding that. Um, I do believe that there is potential for the market to go down. And a lot of people say to me, well, I'm not going to invest in the U.S. because it hasn't hit bottom yet, and I don't know when that's going to be, and I think I'm going to wait out for another five years and see if it starts to turn around. I do think there's potential here for the next two to five years to still make a significant amount of profit in the U.S. economy. I'm not worried that if it goes down. It has gone down so much at this point in time. We're buying houses for sixty to eighty thousand dollars in Phoenix and Vegas that we're selling for two fifty to three hundred thousand dollars. If it goes down another five or ten percent, it's not going to be that much. And typically, we're buying these houses for long-term hold anyway, and we anticipate future appreciation and growth. So, as long as it cash flows and can stand on its own two feet, I'm still going to continue to buy. And I think that it's a good opportunity. That's my thoughts on that. You know, other people differ, but there's many ways to make money in real estate. And they're all along that cycle of the curve, when it's low and when it's high, there's opportunity to make money in many different ways all along that curve. And I'm making money now in the United States, and I think, you know, why not continue to do that? So, for example, the reason why... I invest down there is because I've been investing in Canada since 2001 and I look at the value for my dollar. For me to go buy a house, an average home here in Calgary, perhaps with a basement suite that I can rent out or do a rent home with, I'm going to need to put down, you know, if it's 400000 I need to put down, excuse me, 20%, which is $80,000 and then have the property financed at $320,000 mortgage. And my principal interest, taxes and insurance, and my pity payment is probably going to be somewhere around 1750 for the average house here in, in Calgary. 30-year amortization, approximately 4% interest. I could probably rent it out for 1600 perhaps a little bit more, depending on the area and what happens with that particular house. And I'm probably going to be in a situation where it's going to be hard to cash flow. It's probably going to be a negative situation or maybe a break-even situation. I never buy properties personally that don't stand on their own two feet, that they always have to, you know, cash flow at least to make me a little bit of money. I don't like to subsidize properties uh, if I'm holding properties for renting. Even if I am anticipating future growth, they still got to cover themselves today. I can take that same $80,000 and go down to the United States and I can buy a whole house in Phoenix or Vegas and rent that property out. The, the benefit about, tax, about uh, Phoenix and Vegas is that the taxes are really reasonable. The insurance is really reasonable because they don't have a lot of natural disasters. The only thing that I've run into there so far is they do get you know huge sandstorms and they do get the odd hailstorm that comes through just like we do in Canada. But we don't have tornadoes, we don't have a whole lot of flooding, you know, all those kind of things that come through some other parts of the country. I can rent that out for a good rent, half a single family home, probably up to $1,000, and get a nice cash flow of maybe $800 a month. My annual income on that would be about $9,800, and my return on investment is about 12.3%. So I'm going to get a way better return on my investment for my same $80,000 that I would in Canada. Uh, at this point in time, it's difficult to get financing in the States, so I am buying these things cash um, with you know, myself and investor partners, etc. But, you know, the return on investment is much greater. They anticipate as well that that house for $80,000 sometime in the next five years should increase in value. As the economy starts to strengthen, we anticipate that we'll see appreciation. And we feel that Phoenix is going to be one of the areas and Las Vegas that will appreciate quicker than others. So it leads me into my next slide. The latest information that I got is that the five top states, and these are not necessarily ranked in order, they're just alphabetically, uh, the five states that, that are being considered for the quickest recovery are Arizona, Florida, Hawaii, Nevada, and Southern California. Now, they were hit very hard with foreclosures, but because of the economy in those areas and the movement of jobs and and people to those locations, we see that they're going to be strong markets moving forward. 
where are Canadians investing? Personally, what I'm finding, most people inquire to me about Las Vegas, Phoenix, Southern and Central Florida, and I do get a lot of inquiries on Texas. Some people do look into California. A lot of the markets in California are quite a bit higher than uh, higher price than what you could get in Vegas or Phoenix. So people, you know, tend to move then into this Phoenix and Vegas market as a result because of the price point. What types of properties are typically being bought? Well, first and foremost, vacation homes. So many people that I know are looking to the south to buy a vacation home that they can get away for the winter. Again, we have a huge group that are about to retire in the baby boomer generation, which is a third of our economy in Canada and the United States. So not only are they you know, from Canada moving down to the United States to buy a vacation home to get away from the winter, but so are the, the residents of northern United States. So that is the number one. The second one, of course, is revenue properties. People looking across the border are looking for an opportunity to buy property cheap with the hope that appreciation will come and they will be able to cash in later on. Types of properties, most, most common single-family homes, followed very closely by condos. And I'll talk a little bit further about condos in a couple other slides. Then we have a lot of investors are looking at multi-unit residential, either anywhere from duplexes up to multi-unit uh, apartment complexes. Certainly mobile homes are very attractive. You can get mobile homes for under $5,000 or rent them out for $800 a month. You can do rent to own on those properties and they'll pay them off in three to four years and you'll make huge profit down in on your and huge return on your investment with a mobile home. Uh, and they're very, very popular, especially in the southern United States. And a lot of people are starting to look at commercial. We're just starting to see that trend, people wanting to get into commercial office buildings, etc. And that is the next wave of foreclosures in the United States that is starting to grow in demand as we go forward. The typical strategies that are being looked at at this point in time and that we recommend is to first and foremost buy with to rent and hold for long-term appreciation, get good cash flow, cover your expenses and see where the market goes and what kind of price you can get at some point in the future. However, we do do rent to own. I have a lot of clients that are uh, homeowners that are in a home that the mortgage is upside down, meaning that they have uh, the mortgage is worth more than the property is at this point in time. They work with investors or realtors or other groups to do a short sale, and they want to stay in the home and rent to own it and buy it back from the investor for um, a less rate than what the mortgage was on their house right now. So that is a you know huge opportunity. We get calls all the time off our ads wanting to know if we'll own or finance or do rent to own. So we that's probably what we tend to lean towards fairly significantly in those markets. The third way to buy is certainly or the strategy is the buy, fix and sell. There are some areas that you can make pretty good money. If you're buying cheaper properties though to do a buy, fix and sell, you're probably going to make maybe $10,000, maybe twenty. If you buy some of the higher end stuff, there's an opportunity to make, maybe make thirty to forty. The key here is, as I, wrote, as I wrote in there, due diligence. Make sure you take a good look around to see what is happening. Uh, the market could still go down. You could buy this property. You don't want to buy it at too high a cost. You don't want to put too much money into it. You want to put just the right amount to get you back into the market and get it sold as quick as possible. And you want to list it at a, an attractive price so people will come and look at your house over top of everyone else's. So it is a bit riskier right now because we don't know if the market's going up or if it's going to go back down again. And it depends on the area. Some areas of the United States have maintained their prices very well. Actually, Texas, some areas of New York, some other states have, have had foreclosures, but their market has not gone uh, down as much as Phoenix and Las Vegas. Even within Phoenix, for example, though, there are some parts of the market that actually have done quite well, and some are actually starting to turn around and go back up again. Other parts of the market are flat and maybe going down a little bit. It depends on the property, depends on the area, 
and the market that you're looking at. So those are the three strategies. Buy, rent, and hold, rent to own, and buy, fix, and sell. And how do we buy these properties? And how would, you know, what is the typical way that a Canadian investor could get in here or a Canadian homeowner? Well, first and foremost is short sales. And you probably, if you've looked at all on MLS down in the United States, you're going to see probably short sales advertised all over with properties. I do want to use a little bit of caution here. Um, when you see short sale on MLS, you, the, you need to clarify if it has been approved yet or not because quite often the realtors have teams of short sale specialists and they'll go in, talk to the homeowner, sign up the property to sell using a short sale strategy, they'll get their team to work on the short sale with the bank. And those short sales can take anywhere from a month to a year to get done. They'll list it on MLS as a short sale, but that doesn't mean that it's actually been approved. And it could take you three to four months if you put an offer in that property before it's actually available and the short sale has been negotiated and approved by the bank. And there's no guarantee that the price that the realtor put on MLS is the actual price you're going to get it for. They might say, you know, listed for 80 and it might be 85 that the bank comes back and says they'll give us a short sale. So, or it could be 75. You could end up with a bonus or a negative in that situation. So it's a couple things that need to be looked at. We do work with realtors to put in offers on MLS and sometimes realtors have, you know, investors that might want to sell off houses, they're gotten into financial trouble or something occasionally. It doesn't happen that often. And we have bought at the auction. I'm currently not buying at the auction right now because we found that, for example, in Phoenix and Vegas, the prices have been driven up so much by um, people that are coming to the market and are going to those auctions and overbidding on properties. So I can get a way better deal on MLS or through a short sale or working directly with the bank quite often than going to the auction. The auction right now, for example, this week in Phoenix, on average, are selling between 95 and 98 percent of the fair market value. We used to get them below 80 percent, below market value. So the the market has changed quite a bit. So I would say use some discretion when going there. Certainly, there's opportunities to you know, to work directly with the banks. I do occasionally get access to lists of properties that the banks have for sale. Sometimes you have to buy a whole package, may or may not have the funding to do that, or sometimes you can pick the ones that you want off the list. And that could be single family, commercial, whatever it happens to be. We do look to buy properties in what I consider the A and B neighborhoods. So I look for properties where there's good, you know, high income to middle income people, middle income to working class upper end working class, neighbors, neighborhoods that are desirable, where there's demand or there has been demand in the past, where there's a good school system. In the United States, people will look at the school division and find out where the best schools are and then they'll tend to migrate to those areas and those will be the high demand. So you want to keep an eye on that kind of stuff when you're looking around. The C areas tend to be the low income neighborhoods. Now, I have bought properties in the past in low-income neighborhoods. It's not typically an area that I would take my clients who come to me to help them find properties at, though. You know, some people are comfortable buying those kind of properties, some aren't. There tends to be, uh, in the past, there's been a little bit more transient population. People are a little more stable now. They want to stay in a place for a while. Um, but, you know, you're not going to get as high a rent. The properties are going to be cheaper, but you're not going to get as good a appreciation. So keeping those things in mind, you know, you need to ask yourself, where would you like to invest? What kind of property would you like and prefer to, to take on? Some of the pitfalls and the hurdles that we run into is competition. Competition on MLS and at the auction. Uh, MLS, when we go to find properties that are listed there, we quite often have to put in multiple offers a week, 20, 30 offers a week sometimes before we get an accepted offer. And it might take a couple weeks and then all of a sudden I'll get three in a week. So it is sporadic. You can't just go and put an offer on a property like we do here in Canada because there's not as much competition. You get into a lot of competitive bid situations. Also at the auctions, the same thing. 
The amount of people that are going to the auction now is increased dramatically, as I mentioned before. They've, you know, come in and they're driving up the prices as a result of it as well because they're paying too much for properties. Some of these people are not experienced. Um, just hear about the auction, you know, come to town for the weekend and want to go buy a property if they're in town for a few days. One of the challenges at this point in time is most of the properties you're going to buy are going to be all cash. And a lot of the realtors want to see proof of funds up front that you have the ability to actually buy the properties. Some, you know, depending on where the, and same with the banks, they want to know if it's a cash deal, do you have the ability to do that? And we're also buying these properties in as-is condition. The banks, if you're buying them off MLS from the banks, they'll let you have an inspection period, five to ten days to go in, take a look, do some due diligence. If you're buying at the auction, quite often you find out that the auction is 7 o'clock in the morning and the house is going up for auction at 10, so you don't have a whole lot of time to do due diligence. And as a result, you can run into a lot of issues on the title. There's things that need to be cleared that you may not have noticed when you went in and did initial inspections or had a lawyer or a title company pull uh, the title for you to do some work in, you know, ahead of time. So there can be a lot trickier to buy properties at the auction as a result. It's harder to get financing. It's at most for Canadians and for Americans, especially investment properties. Um, there aren't as many options available. Some of the options are, you know, private lenders, hard money lenders. Some of the banks may consider you uh, if you're buying a property and you have 50% to put down. You may be able to get financing for an investment property. Uh, much more difficult than it was in the past. And because there is so much mortgage fraud that happened in the United States and that all contributed to um, and it went along with the subprime lending crisis, just they're very leery about investing. Most people here will take out equity out of houses in Canada and take that cash and use that to invest in the U.S. And we're really spoiled here in Canada because we can go in with 20% down, buy a property as long as the cash flows meets the criteria of the bank and you have enough um, income to substantiate it, we can get financing very easily compared to down there. So there are some, some challenges. One of the other uh, considerations too is most of the properties that we're buying through MLS or at the auction have been sitting vacant for months, sometimes two years. And you don't know, um, you know always what you know, all the condition is regarding that property. Some areas you could have mold or um, other issues with the property. Certainly termites may be uh, an issue because no one was taking care of the pest control, uh, cockroaches, other things that might be on the property, uh, missing water pipes, of course everyone breaks in and steals the copper, the heating and cooling units are quite often stolen, The um, any appliances or anything that's around there, you never know what might be there. So you just need to look around, do some due diligence of the properties. Uh, have a team in place that can help you do some of those inspections, etc., before you buy the property, just to make sure that you know everything's there and that you know exactly what you're getting yourself into when you're buying those properties. And certainly, if you're living in Canada and buying in the U.S., you're owning those properties from afar. I need to have a good team that can help you and that uh, you feel comfortable with. So, as a result, we put together some tips to provide for investors. And we have these on our website too, suncornerinvestments.com. If you you can always go back and take a look at the website and, and see some of the information that we have there for investors. It's specifically designed for Canadians to invest in the US. So first and foremost, we want to find a good power team in each location. The people that work with me that uh, I help, you know, buy properties for them, find good deals for them. I also provide the power team. I make sure that you know things are taken care of if they need something. I have a detailed list that we go through to help them with their purchase. Uh, I do want to make sure that if you're buying a property, you always have it inspected, either by a licensed contractor or home inspector, and you get a detailed report of what it is. Especially in the United States, anyone buying a new home 
will probably have a new home warranty. So if you plan on selling this house to a homeowner at some point in the future, you may want to consider getting a new home warranty inspection done yourself on the property so you know exactly what they're going to be looking for. They're very particular on the new home warranty inspections compared to other inspections. And uh, there's a lot of things that might be missed by regular inspection because it's just minor stuff. But the new home warranty will pick it up and that could make or break your sale. So you might want to do that right up front, know exactly what you're doing. It costs the same amount of money as it does for a regular inspection. Just a new home warranty one would probably be the preferred. Uh, you want to find out if there's any issues in the area you're buying that were different from where you currently live. Example, termites. If you're buying in the Sun Belt, you got termites, you got cockroaches. You know, what are the other things you need to consider? You know, there's other pests, for example, in Scottsdale and Phoenix. You could, you know, have scorpions or something like that. You might have to have um, an ongoing pest control budget to have someone come in on a regular basis to spray for cockroach, termites, you know, scorpions, other varmints, whatever they might be that might be at the property, depending on which area of the country you're buying from. Uh, very important is that you do need to get some tax advice and some advice on how to set up your corporate, if you're going to set up a corporation or holding your personal name. One of the questions that I'm always asked about is, what about the inheritance tax? How does that impact me as I'm going forward as far as um, if something happens later on and I go and I pass away and I have this house in the United States, uh, what would my family have to worry about? Well, in the United States, if you hold that property, whether in your personal name or if you own shares, when you pass away, then there is, they will take a look, the IRS will need to be notified if the property is worth more than $60,000. If it is, then an estate tax return needs to be filed. The good thing is that they will take a look at your worldwide assets, and if you have less than $3.5 million in worldwide assets, you won't have to pay the inheritance tax. So it is an issue that you need to be concerned about. Um, I'm not an expert. That is um, information that I got just recently from Terry Ritchie, who is a gentleman who wrote a book on uh, investing in the U.S. for snowbirds, Canadian snowbirds. He has an office in Calgary, an office in Phoenix, very, very knowledgeable. And again, his name is Terry Ritchie. So you can check him out on YouTube. He has some video clips on that. So if you have significant assets over $3.5 million, then you probably need to talk to somebody to prepare and how you're going to handle that. A corporation, a family trust, whatever might you know, be the best thing for yourself. The next question is, should you be incorporating or not? Again, I'm not, a, not an expert on tax and legal issues. Uh, there are things that you, know, you need to take a look at for your own personal situation. What suits you? The typical uh, companies that you would buy in the United States if you decide to incorporate would be a C-Corp, a LLC, Limited Liability Corporation, or an LLP, a Limited Liability Partnership. Depending on what you plan to do with the property, how much you're planning to have, you may, you'll, you know, talking to a lawyer will help you determine what's the best mix for you. Maybe you're going to have multiple companies because you're going to buy multiple properties. You're just going to buy one and rent it out. What are the implications to you personally or to your corporation? So I would recommend talking to some good legal advice. And I do have a team that uh, I do have some contacts for legal advice in the United States that can help you out both here in Canada and in the US. So um, also when you're going to buy properties, whether you buy it in a corporation or in your personal name, you will need to transfer funds down to the United States to cover off the cost for the closing. And quite often people just go to the bank, wire the money down and have the money shipped to the, the office where it's going to be closed. One thing to take into consideration is when you go to the bank, you're going to pay top dollar for the exchange. There are discount brokerages in Canada that can help you 
in transferring your funds, and I would recommend you consider that. For example, Olympia Trust is one that we use a lot in Western Canada. There's also a place called Custom House Currency, which has offices across Canada, and they can help you. And you can save, actually, for fairly large amounts, you can save a couple thousand dollars by going through an exchange company rather than bank to uh, transfer your money to the United States. So another consideration to help you save yourself some money. If you, of course, as a Canadian, if you're getting a home equity loan, you're, you're going to get really reasonable rates in Canada to borrow money off your house on a line of credit. Um, if you're looking to do something down in the United States, you can do financing on your personal residence down there. If you're going to buy a vacation home, some of them will do 25 to 30 percent down and get you financing. Some you require 50 percent. Same with investment properties. You're probably looking at least 50 percent. Probably private lenders or hard money lenders are going to be your option there rather than traditional banks. Unfortunately, just a sign of the times right now. We are starting to see a movement with the banks to actually start to look at it. And some of them are saying that they're getting ready to develop programs for investment, whether that's going to be for Canadians or not, we don't know, but at least hopefully we start to see some signs. Now just on the weekend, there was actually an announcement that the U.S. economy had grown in the last quarter, and which was surprising because all the other indicators had thought that it was actually declining, but the evidence came out that it was actually growing. If they continue to see some positive, the banks will eventually start to loosen up a little bit and you know, develop programs to help all of us with financing again as we move forward. Certainly, if you're going to be holding properties for rental, even if you're going to buy a property for your own personal uh, home as a second home in the U.S. for the winter, you do want to take into account what your requirements are going to be for insurance purposes for a personal home. If I have a vacation home, your insurance may require that you have someone go in there on a daily basis, once a week, whatever it happens to be. So you may have to hire a service to do that for you. Or if you have family or friends or something down there that can you know, accomplish that for you, that would be great. Otherwise, if you're getting rental properties, of course, you're probably going to look at a property management company who can go in and check the property, make sure the tenants are paying the rent, etc. Um, take a look at their fees. You have them reviewed up front. And what kind of services do they provide for those fees? Just make sure you're clear on what the expectations are there and when did they send out their reports. And you, typically, you're probably going to get those reports around the middle of the month. It takes a little while for them to gather everything and put it and compile it into your report for you. When I go to close on properties in the United States, you also things are a little bit different than they are here in Canada. In Canada, we use a lawyer or a notary in the province of Quebec. In the U.S., they're typically done through a title company or an attorney, depending on the state. Now, most of the southern states that I've talked to you about here tonight are all title company states, so you would go through a title company. The title companies are usually owned by an attorney, so someone or they have an attorney on staff to oversee the legality of the transactions, everything that's happening. Um, but the people that actually do the closings are escrow officers. So when you uh, decide you want to buy property, you send in your offer to purchase to the title company, they will set up escrow and they will assign a number to the escrow for you and everything will be tracked to that escrow number. So all the money that comes in, everything that goes out and all your reporting will be linked around that escrow number. And they use a standard closing document in the United States called the HUD-1, which is very different than what we do in Canada. Canada here, each lawyer can has a similar closing document, but it's, you know, typed up by whoever the um, assistant is in the office that helps with closings, and it could vary from one lawyer to the other. Even the same office, they could all look different. You have the basic same key items, but in the HUD statement, Everything looks the same from one to the other. You can look it up on the internet, HUD-1 um, closing statement. Just type it into Google and they'll bring up websites you can take a look at. So you're familiar with that. 
Um, one of the most common things that people ask me for, especially if they're going to Vegas or to Phoenix, is looking into an uh, a condo. It's you know, for those of us that travel back and forth, and if you're going to only planning to use this as a second home for the winter, while you're gone during the summer, you still want someone there to take care of the yard work and the pool and all that kind of stuff. And by having a condo, it's very attractive that the condo fees cover off all the maintenance, so you don't have to worry so much about it. So they can be a very attractive investment for buyers of all kinds, for both rental and for uh, second homes. Um, one thing that I recommend is that you check it out. Check into the condo association. Is it in good standing? Especially in Vegas, I'm finding that there's some really good deals in condos, in the high-rise condos downtown. However, most of those condo buildings are half empty, if not more. And who's paying for the, the lights and the power to run the elevators, etc.? Probably those few people that are there as homeowners. So you're going to see, and some have already seen, special assessments be levied against the existing owners to pay a little bit extra money towards management of the condo association. Some of them have gone bankrupt because they lost so many uh, people out of their condo associations that went into foreclosure, haven't been able to pay their bills, etc. So, you know, you need to do some due diligence. Check it out. Find out what uh, the status is, you know, have the documents sent to you as far as their reserve status and, and their standing and, you know, how many people do they have that are paying their bills, etc. Another thing that is Canadians we don't run into a whole lot of is homeowners associations for single family homes and subdivisions. Very common. Most of the major centers in the United States now, all the new um, developments have homeowners associations. So the um, cities have been passing on the responsibility for the maintenance and upkeep of parks and green space within those associations and the roads, etc., to the homeowners, and most of them pay a fee. Quite often, it's uh, it could be a monthly fee or it could be a yearly fee or a quarterly fee. It depends on the homeowners association and how much it actually is. Condo associations tend to be monthly, but uh, so check to see. It can be attractive for those of you that are considering buying a second home. And I've had lots of people come to me and say, oh, I want to buy a second home and I want to have a pool and all the amenities that come along with it, you know, being a golf course, etc. Um, I, what I recommend, if you're only planning to live there part of the year, you may want to double think the pool. You have, it's going to cost you more for insurance, there's increased liability, and increased maintenance. Someone has to come in, clean the pool on a regular basis, etc. You might want to consider buying in a community that has a homeowners association and that there's a common pool. That might be a good thing for you. You can still get the benefit of the pool. You don't have to take care of all the maintenance. You don't have to worry about the headache of having to drain it when you're not there, etc. Someone else will take care of that and it'll be all included in part of your fees. So, you know, what is it that you want in your property. Uh, if you're going to be looking for a rental property, do you want to pay the extra money for a homeowners association? You may or may not want. It might impact your uh, investment. Your return on investment may be impacted by $70 to $100 or more a month because of the homeowners association fees. So you may want to consider passing on a property that has a homeowners association. All those things are things to be considered. Same with if I'm buying a rental property with a pool, do I want the extra liability of having the pool? There's something to think about. You know, do you want to have to worry about that? Personally, I don't. I don't buy houses with pools, and I do like to avoid homeless associations whenever possible unless it's a good deal. Depends on the property, depends on the area, and depends on what I'm doing with that property. So, you know, check it out. As well, the county taxes. Now, when you buy a property from MLS, typically the bank is responsible for ensuring that the title is clear title to you when you get that property. So all of those encumbrances on the property should have been taken care of, not a problem. When you buy at the auction, there could be things like taxes, 
excuse me, homeowners association fees, condo fees that could show up. And it could take your title company quite a bit longer to close on that title because they have to go in and clear off all those things with the bank and whoever the owner is. So you can check into the county taxes. In most counties, they have a website that you can go on to. You can check it out yourself and, um, you know, can help with, you can find somebody that can help you with the insurance coverage to find out what kind of insurance would be best for you for your situation. Again, with my team, I provide an insurance broker to help them so people can just, you know, talk to them, get everything set up very easily. Again, we do provide a checklist for buyers that are looking for people that work with, that come to me and ask me to help them find them properties. Let's move forward. So people always ask me, if I'm going down to the U.S. and I'm buying all these houses, who's going to live in them? Because they're empty, everything is vacant. And I say, well, first and foremost, all those people that lived in those houses are living someplace else, like I, taught, I mentioned earlier in the presentation. So there's a high demand for rent. People are living with multiple families in one home. Eventually, as people can afford to move out and get a property of their own, they need to go someplace. They can't all live together. Um, the next most common thing that I'm asked about is rent to owner or owner finance. There's lots of demand. I mentioned that earlier as well. It tends to be the people that I work with the most. I also have investors that come to me and they just want to buy a property as a turnkey rental option. They want to have buy the property, have the tenant in place, property manager, everything set up, and just have cash flow immediately as soon as I buy the property. I do have properties like that and uh, help lots of people get into that kind of scenario. And it's just so much easier and quicker for them to start making money. Certainly I do you know, have snowbirds that are looking for vacation homes that we work with as well. And Americans who are moving from other parts of the country to um, reduce the cost of living or to where they're getting a new job. I just had a house that people were looking to do rent to own. They were moving from Denver to Phoenix. Um, they just started a new job. It was going to take them three months before they could qualify for financing because they were leaving a job in one city, moving to another, and they weren't. Uh, they had to go through three months of probation. So they wanted to rent for three months and then buy the house. There's all kinds of scenarios with people that are looking for property. You never know who they are and what they need as they come along. There's many different options out there. So I don't worry too much about the properties when I get them. Eventually I'm going to find someone to put into the property, either rent or rent own, etc. So as I mentioned, um, I, I'm going to talk tonight specifically about Phoenix because we don't have a lot of time, but we do you know, invest in other cities as well. Phoenix tends to be the one that I have the most demand for at this particular point in time. So Phoenix is uh, the fifth largest city, Phoenix itself. The metro area is the 12th largest in the United States as far as um, the combined space. It had the second highest foreclosure rate in the United States behind Las Vegas. In April of this year, one in 240 foreclosures were filed. So there's still a lot of property and a lot of inventory. We're not seeing as much shadow inventory at this point, particular point in time, though, um, in the market. And you know, people keep saying, "Oh, there's you know millions of shadow inventory," but the banks are not saying they have that much that's sitting out there. There are a lot of mortgages. 56.6 percent of the last uh, study that I saw was Phoenix mortgages are underwater, meaning that their mortgages are worth more than the house is worth. That doesn't mean that all those people are going into foreclosure, though. A lot of those people still have good jobs, bought these houses back in 2005, 2006, 2007, and are still making their mortgage payments. And they have every intention to continue to do that. And so they want to stay in their home, they built the house specifically, their kids live there, whatever. So not all of those 56% are going to go into foreclosure. Um, the prices are still relatively low in the market, they have gone up a bit or the past year, and there's still great deals to be had in this market. There is a demand, vacation homes, rental homes, huge demand in this particular market. 
They see this as a great opportunity for long-term investments. Again, rentals, rent-to-own. You can also do furnished seasonal rentals in Phoenix because there's such a demand for people that are coming to as tourism or for short-term studies. Seven Fortune 500 companies uh, reside in the Valley, and they're huge employers. And there have been some announcements recently of job creation and stuff happening within the city. Doesn't mean that there's not a lot of people that are still unemployed, but we see some optimism for the future. And again, we think that Phoenix is going to be one of those markets that's going to recover faster than probably some of the other ones. They have a, a diverse economy, which people don't start to think about, but they do have some manufacturing that's still happening. It wasn't all completely you know, demolished as a result of the downturn in the market. They have a strong agricultural base, very strong tourism, lots of education, health, and technology are some of the key drivers in that economy. So there's diversity, there's opportunity there. 10 million tourists on average per year, and in fact, I saw something that said it could be up to 12 million tourists come every year to the Phoenix area. The things that draw them are major sports events. All the major for sports franchises are there. We have PGA, there's the LPGA, NASCAR, Bear Jackson car auction, to name a few things. Spring training in March brings a million people to the city just for, for spring training. Conventions, they, they're, they're doubling the convention center in Phoenix and going after the convention business big time. Um, there's a need to develop another 15 hotels downtown, uh, which are starting to see some movement towards doing that now. Uh, there's a huge component of health in the valley. The Mayo Clinic is there. There's several teaching hospitals. People come from all over the world to live in Phoenix for anywhere from three months to six months to two years on short-term sabbaticals to do training at the you know, Mayo Clinic and the other training hospitals in the Valley. Certainly, there's huge education. The uh, Arizona State University has about 80,000 students, and that mostly resides in the, in the town of Tempe, city of Tempe, excuse me. <clears throat> um, you also have the University of Phoenix, which does a lot of online training, but they do have campuses in the city as well, and several uh, colleges and post-secondary education, smaller facilities around the, the valley. And of course, everybody goes to Phoenix to go golfing. Uh, the highest percentage per capita of golf courses in the United States, in Western United States. So you can get some really good golf courses and great rates, especially depending on what time of the year you're going. Um, also, because of the nature of Phoenix, see high propensity of people that are going to migrate to Phoenix, most likely, and Las Vegas to retire. So there's more health facilities being developed to accommodate an aging population that's going to be living there, as well as for every person that moves there, three people, three jobs are created. So there's you know strong job market coming in the future to accommodate those, um, the demographics of the population. There's a movement to um, increase population in what's called the Arizona Sun Quarter between Phoenix and Tucson. Um, the Sun Quarter makes up 80% of Arizona's economy, so it's very strong, lots of jobs, lots of development. You're going to see more and more uh, building going towards the south of the city to, towards Tucson and north from Tucson, of course, towards Phoenix. Um, estimates were that about 45,000 new jobs would be created in the Phoenix area. So there is a potential for a lot of growth going forward. About a million people moved there the last decade. I anticipate that somewhere up and around another million people will move over the next 10 to 15 years into the valley. And the other question I'm asked all the time is, how are they going to accommodate the water? Uh, there's a new pipeline that's being built. There's several aqueduct systems fairly close to the city that are being negotiated. Um, I don't anticipate that this is going to be a huge problem. Going forward, it does come up every once in a while, but the city is working towards um, you know, trying to 
accommodate uh, the growth because they do see the growth happening and they don't want to stop the growth. They're very actively trying to bring people into their into the state and into the cities. One of the major things that they focus on is transportation. For every person that moves there, um, they bring, I think for every four or five people, they bring one or two cars to the city. So they've now implemented a light, tra light rail train system, and certainly the freeway system is in expansion to accommodate the continued growth as they move forward. And they haven't stopped that development, even though there's been a downturn in the economy. It actually worked in their favor in a lot of ways because the labor costs have gone down significantly. Uh, as a result of the downturn in the economy, a lot of people out of work and got into uh, construction development type jobs at a lower rate. So they've actually continued on and are building those freeways at a reduced cost than what it would have cost them you know, back in 2008, etc. So it's been to the advantage of the community to continue. People are moving there because it's affordable housing. There are jobs being created. It's a great climate, affordable lifestyle to raise a family, uh, good education in the valley, good health systems available, teaching hospitals, Mayo Clinic. Um, they can also, it's a great location to other major markets. You can hop on a plane, you can get to anywhere in the United States very easily and internationally from there. You can drive very quickly to Vegas, California, you know, other areas around the country. And of course for retirement, huge retirement benefits as people are moving. And just to quick give you a bit of an overview of the valley, when we're talking about the Phoenix Valley, you'll hear people say, I'm looking at a property over in the West Valley or I'm looking over in the East Valley. Typically the valley is divided up straight down the middle of Phoenix on Center Avenue. Anything west of that is the West Valley. Anything east of that is the East Valley. The East Valley tends to be a little more desirable. And the trends are that probably properties will appreciate faster in those areas. They're a little more established. So in the East Valley, we have Scottsdale, which is kind of landlocked at this point in time. There's not a lot of potential to grow the footprint of Scottsdale. So property values are going to probably continue to go up as a result of that. We have Mesa, which is a long established community, Tempe, Chandler, Gilbert, Queen Creek, those are, you know, Tempe and Mesa have been around a long time, well established, Tempe's where the university is, so very strong properties. Good if you can get something at a good price, prices tend to be a little bit higher. If you're looking for a good, uh, better return on your investment, probably something over in the West Valley. Glendale, Avondale, uh, some Levine, some of the properties that are a little closer, Peoria, those tend to be, you can get some really nice houses, less than 10 years old, good rental, uh, low taxes, you know, low insurance, and they'll have a probably a better appreciation than someone perhaps that lives a little further out, like Litchfield Park. They may not be as high as properties in the East Valley depending on where you're looking and what you're looking for for yourself for long-term strategy. I'll just show you a couple examples of deals that we have. I'm just about ready to wrap up the presentation. This is a property that we have at this particular point in time. It's for sale for 84000 It's in Mesa. I mentioned in the East Valley. It's a very desirable neighborhood, this particular house. Nice little house. Uh, the, the couple has gone into foreclosure and we're buying this house and we're going to keep them in the house and do a rent-to-own with the family. You can see it's a nice house. There's a few pictures of the property. Here's the scenario. Now this particular scenario, we've set it up so that they have escalated rents and escalating price of purchase on the property on the rent-to-own. So starting out um, at $940 a month rent, and over the course of the next three years, they will be up to 1035 per month. At 940, their yearly income is $11,280. I'm going to use that as the example. And the property taxes and insurance, and, and we do have a property manager just to make sure the rent gets paid and everything. We take those expenses, taxes, insurance, property management, it's about $2,800. So that particular property is going to net almost $8,400 a year. The cash on cash 
is about 10, 10% on those rents. When it goes up to 1,035, it'll be closer to 11% just on the rent. We're selling this at a rent to own, so we're going to sell it at a future value down the road of $108,000. So when you consider the rent combined with the appreciation, it's approximately $51,000 in profit on this particular property. So return on investment is going to be, you know, 12%, a little over 12% per year over five years. If the people do not fulfill the contract, then we will sell it for a higher price in the future as the property goes up in value. So this is probably the worst, excuse me, case scenario. There's definitely an upside potential to be much higher um, return on investment on that particular property. I have another property here that would be more geared towards someone who's looking for a second home. Maybe has a large family or have all their kids and grandkids want to come and spend time with them once they're down there. This is a beautiful house in a nice neighborhood, new neighborhood over in Goodyear, which is in the West Valley on the other side of town. Beautiful house. It's for sale for $149,500 at this particular point in time beautiful kitchen, very nice, huge yard. There is no pool, but there's an opportunity with lots of room to put a nice size pool in there if you want to have something, depending on what your needs are as you move forward. Purchase price at, at this particular point in time is $149.5. This house originally sold in 2006 for $399,297. A recent sale in the neighborhood around the corner, a much smaller house sold for $165. This house is probably worth well over $170,000, $185,000 easily. So you're getting in at a good price at this particular point in time, and basically you can probably move in to the property without a whole lot of work to the property. So beautiful house in a beautiful neighborhood. Street Smart Real Estate Investing. Welcome to the new innovative concept of real estate investing. No more expensive courses. No more high-priced mentors taking your money and leaving you without ongoing support. Become a full-time seasoned real estate investor by participating with our already successful team members. Now is the time to stop talking about real estate investing and start doing. Take action. Just ask and we will help you. We promise one thing, no BS. For more info, www.streetsmartrei.com.